And uh, this clock says 1.30, so I got a long time to preach. Man, Tim usually takes care of this clock for me. He dropped the ball on this one. <laughs> he can take that. Some of you are like, man, he's calling people out. Last week, we looked at the connection that Peter made between the New Testament baptism and an Old Testament worldwide flood. This week, we look at Paul connecting New Testament water baptism in the Israelite exodus from Egypt in the wilderness. And so we just want to jump into this second week of saved through water. Jesus, we love you, God. You are so incredible, wonderful words in our language or any language in this world can't adequately describe just how incredible and great you are. But Lord, we try, and we try to show you through worship, and we try to throw you, show you through obedience in the lifestyle that we live. So help us do that by the power of your Spirit. And God, speak to us today and through me, Lord Jesus, and anoint these lips that you've given me to impart the words that you've laid on my heart. In Jesus' name, amen. So as Israel left Egypt after 430 years of bondage, the Bible tells us God immediately began dealing with them. And I have a lot of scriptures to look at today. If you're taking notes, you can just look at the references, and I encourage you, look at these later. Um, but at least you know this is going to be a biblically-based message. Hopefully they all are that I get up and preach. But really, this is especially the number of scriptures I'm going to show you. But Exodus chapter 13, verse 17 and 18, it says, And it came to pass... When Pharaoh had let the people go, that God led them not through the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. So that's the nearest place, but he has them go a different direction. You're like, hmm, God sometimes takes us on paths that we're like, you know, I would have chosen a different path. But he knows. And, he, and, and God said, lest peradventure the people repent when they see war and they return to Egypt. Because guess what? Humanity has a tendency to make commitments to God, but when resistance comes into their path, they tend to say, I want to go back to what I used to do. And that's why he says, hey, I'm going to take them a different direction because otherwise when the war comes, when the resistance comes, they might think about going backward. And guess what? That's exactly what they did. But God led the people about through the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. And the children of Israel went up Harnessed out of the land of Egypt. Jump down to verse 21. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of a cloud to lead them the way. And by night, a pillar of fire to give them light to go by day and night. How awesome would that be? You know, have you ever prayed, God, just show me what you want me to do. Just give me direction, Lord. You know, maybe it's about a job or who to marry or, or what house to buy or whatever it is. You know what I'm saying? Maybe, maybe you're praying about what church to go to and you're going, God, just show me. Anybody ever pray for God to direct you in anything? How cool would it be to just pray that prayer and tonight a pillar of fire just shows up and like you just follow it. And like, Lord, what job should I take? And all of a sudden, the pillar of fire just stops. Uh, 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 you know, people would kind of freak out, but at least you'd know where to work. <laughs> or imagine praying about who to marry, you know? And like tomorrow morning, the pillar, of, the, the, the pillar of cloud, which is kind of weird terminology, a cloud just goes like this and just stops over this young lady or young man. And you're just like, we have to talk. You better hope they see the cloud too. <laughs> and much to their dismay, God led them right into the Red Sea. 
And so here, you understand God, that, that, pillar of cloud, that pillar of fire and that pillar of cloud, you understand that was the spirit of God leading them. God has always longed to lead his people by his spirit. In the Old Testament, you're gonna see, this is, this is a literal manifestation. In the New Testament, he says, I'm gonna put my spirit inside of you and lead you by my spirit by infilling you instead of external manifestations. And so, here he goes, he leads them, and to their dismay, they, they, I mean, they literally come up, and all of a sudden, they're in this area, there's mountains on the sides, Pharaoh's army changed their mind, they don't want to do their own work, so they chase after them, and the Red Sea's in front of them. I mean, to say that they were in a dire circumstance, it, this absolutely was. They, I mean, what are you going to do? You're like, I got the Red Sea here, Pharaoh's army there, mountains on both sides, and God steps in, and they're looking at the Red Sea in Exodus 14, 16. God tells Moses, he says, lift up thou thy rod and stretch out thine hand over the sea and divide it, and the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. Verse 21, Moses stretched out his hand, did just that, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night and made the sea dry land. Because what's so beautiful is when God does a miracle, he doesn't just do it on the surface. Even to this day, our lives, he does not just do a miracle on the surface. What he does when he fills us with his spirit is he reaches into the depths of who we are as a person. And he changes us from the very inside to the outside, just like he did the Red Sea there. Because if water parts, I would think that'd be mud they walked on. And God says, no, I don't just do surface miracles. I go all the way down to the very depth. And so it says, and the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea upon dry ground. The, water was, the waters were a wall unto them and their right and their left. Notice scripture clearly states the importance of being led by the cloud and going through the sea. These were pivotal and powerful moments, some of the most powerful moments in Israel's history. And then we go to the New Testament, and the Apostle Paul, who was a Jewish citizen and scholar himself, one who would have been, he would have known Jewish history extremely well, trained by one of the top rabbis of that day, and he writes this in his first letter to the Corinthian church. He says in 1 Corinthians 10, he says, Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that all of our fathers, referencing past times, he says, they were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. Now, what do you think he's talking about right here? What we literally just read. He's referencing back to that very moment. He says, don't be ignorant. I'm, I'm going to make a connection for you here. He tells the church. And this church that he's writing to, this was the church who had already followed Peter's commands and, and uh, what we read last week in Acts chapter 2 when they said, what are we supposed to do, Peter? And Peter said, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And so he says, you, how, what should we do, Peter? He says, repent, be baptized in Jesus' name and you'll receive the Holy Ghost. So a very clear plan for salvation. This church had already followed those things. And so Paul is writing this to these people and he's making this connection for them. And then he goes in verse 2, he says, and we're all all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. That's interesting. Paul, the Apostle Paul, is making the connection of New Testament water baptism to what transpired in the Old Testament 
when Moses and the Israelites went, in the Exodus, went through the Red Sea and walked on dry ground. So that's, that's interesting. He says, and they did all eat the same spiritual meat and did drink the same spiritual drink. They drank that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. So he's making this connection to what went on in the Old Testament to Jesus Christ and water baptism in the New Testament. Now, if I just got up and did this, you might be like, oh, that's a stretch. But it's inspired text that Paul is making this connection. If we're Bible believers, we're saying, okay, so he's saying this is that. And that's kind of a strange phrase, baptized unto Moses in the cloud and then the sea. What, what does this mean? Well, he, why is Paul bringing this up to this New Testament Greek church in the city of Corinth? The Bible tells us this cloud by day and pillar of fire never left the people of God. This was the Shekinah presence of the Lord that accompanied Israel for 40 years. Exodus 40, 38 says, For the cloud of the Lord was upon the tabernacle by day. And the fire was on it by night in the sight of all of the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. I mean, that would be incredible. I would love for the next 40 years of my life, might be the last 40 years of my life, to just be led by a cloud in the daytime and fire at nighttime. It'd be incredible, like every day, just knowing, you know, honey, I was going to go to work, but the, the cloud's still above the house, so I'm staying in bed today. She would say, no, that staying above the house means you're supposed to clean the house. <laughs> Paul later says in 1 Corinthians 12, 12, for as the body is one and hath many members and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. Which if you're wondering if Christ is one, that's the oneness of God. Jesus Christ is one right there. And so by one spirit, we are all baptized into one body. Whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we're bond or free, we're made to drink into one spirit. People will say apostolic Pentecostal churches are oneness. I absolutely agree with that because the scripture is oneness. In Ephesians, he says, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who's above all, through all, and in you all. And so we're reading this oneness. And he's going, there's one spirit, there's one baptism, there's one body. Well, I got a question. I want to be a part of that. So how do we enter the body of Christ? Because he's talking about this one body and one spirit. Again, Paul's using language that maybe we don't understand at first glance. You're like, yeah, it's, it's okay. But he gives the answer right away here. How do we enter the, that one body? It's not by faith alone, but by being baptized into that body. That's why when I baptize someone, maybe I'll get to baptize someone today. We open up these doors, and there's clean, warm water, clothes to change in. What happens is I say, we talk about repentance because that's the crucial first element. But then I'll say, I, I baptize you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission. That means removal, cancellation, blotting out of all of those sins. And when I put someone under the water and bring them up, that is where we are now baptized into the body that Paul's talking about. Paul's writing to a church that's already followed this plan. And Paul writes to this church not about some hypothetical situation or some distant theology. He says, we have all been baptized this is not, he wasn't imploring him like, hey, you need to do this. He said, hey guys, we've, we've been baptized as he writes this letter. We drank into that one spirit. 
different wording. You know what I mean? That, that wording, back, it worked back then. If I got up today and said, it's time to drink of one spirit, I think we'd have people be like, uh, this is a cult. You know, no, because that wording, it sounds like, well, that's a little bit weird, but that worked for them. What he's simply saying is, hey, we all got the Holy Ghost the same way. And so God is still calling people, just like what Paul made this connection, back to Exodus. God is still doing the same things today. He's calling people out of a lifestyle of bondage. He's, his spirit is leading them to the water. And he's calling them to go through the water, but it's their decision whether or not to go through the water. And then he wants his spirit to descend upon them and lead them through the rest of their journey. It's the exact same plan today. But notice water... Water is not the ending point, for God wants to fill us with his spirit. Look when Jesus speaks to a woman at the well in the New Testament in John, 9, or John 4, verse 9. It says, Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, because they didn't really talk to each other, those two, those two cultures hated each other. And he says, she says, How are you? You're a, you're a Jew. You're talking to me, and you're asking to a drink of me, in which I'm a woman of Samaria. The Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. What, what, why is this even happening? And Jesus said to her, if thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, give me to drink, thou would have asked of him if he would give you the living water. The woman saith to him, sir, thou hast nothing to draw with. This well is deep. From hence the way, where are you getting this living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob? I love that when they include little tidbits like that, how ironic. Which gave us a well and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle. And Jesus said to her, What's, whosoever drinketh of this water, you're going to get thirsty again. You're going you're to thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water I'll give him shall be in, in him. Well, yeah, of course, water, when you drink it, it goes in you. But he wasn't talking about that. A well of water Notice he says, a well of water. He did not just say water's going to be in you, but it's going to be in you, and it's going to become a well of water. What happens when you have the well? When you have a cup of water, it ends, okay? I have this little bottle of water here, and I'm thirsty, so it's a great transition. <laughs> but eventually, that ends. But when he says, you have a well of water, that means when I put something inside of you, it continues to provide what you need on a daily basis. He was referencing his own spirit that had not yet been poured out upon all flesh. But he's saying, hey, I'm going to put something inside of you that will be a well and springing up into everlasting life. The woman saith, sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. See, the conversation started about a cup of water, but Jesus tied it into something more than just that. He starts talking about a spring of water that'll be in her. This is a prophetic word about the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit, same thing. The water and the Spirit have always gone hand in hand. Way back in the Old Testament, God led his people to water by his spirit. And then he descended upon them in a pillar of, or a cloud. Today, God still leads his people to the water. 
It's their decision whether to go through the water. And then he descends upon them in his spirit and wants to fill you and lead you. It's still that same plan. And this eventually led them to a promised land. But Old Testament prophets later spoke of a day where this would change slightly. Jeremiah 31, this is after, much further, longer after the time of Moses. But Jeremiah, before the time of Jesus, he writes and he prophesies. In Jeremiah 31, 31, he says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. See, this was such an incredible moment in Israel's history that all of these people through the word are writing about this moment. And Jeremiah says, hey, the day is coming. It's not here yet. But there's going to be a new covenant. Now let's, let's reference it. It's, that I took, it's not there, not according to the covenant that I made with them in the Father's Day. When I took them by the hand, that's, that's, that's verbiage there. He didn't literally take them by the hand, but in some ways he did. He says, there's the pillar, there's the fire, there's the cloud. I'm going to lead you where I want you to go by this. And, and I'm talking to you about how God's going to come up with something that hasn't happened yet, but it's on the horizon. And it's not like that, my covenant, which they break, although I was a husband to them, saith the Lord. Look at verse, uh, the next verse, 32. Um, not according to the, uh, he, I'm sorry, verse 33. But this shall be the covenant that I will make the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. So he's saying, I'm still interested in leading my people like I always have. But instead of the manifestation of the pillar of fire or the cloud, I'm actually going to take my spirit and I'm going to put it inside of them instead of them just following it like that. They actually follow it from here. And then Ezekiel says the same thing. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh. I will give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you shall keep my judgments and do them. You see, God always had a plan for this very day. He's always wanted to have one church, one body that he could give one spirit and have one baptism. And he's going to have one heaven that he wants us to be in. I mean, this is his plan. It's just a matter of his spirit can lead us to a place of repentance and lead us to the water. But it's up to you to go through the water. In Jewish culture, there was not denying, there's no denying that God had been with them through the years. They saw that literal manifestation and that was there. But, but now there's something new. And Paul later in the New Testament makes the connection about the Holy Spirit being the fulfillment of those Old Testament prophecies that we just read. 1 Corinthians 6, 19, he says, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of of the Holy Ghost. And so it wasn't a pillar of fire. It wasn't a cloud anymore. It wasn't a, a, a badger skins tabernacle in the middle of the desert where he would come and meet with them there. Now Paul is saying, hey, just like Ezekiel said, just like Jeremiah said, now your body is the dwelling place of the Spirit of God. That's why we don't need to see that anymore. When he fills you with his Spirit, I can begin to pray and I can say, God, I need direction right now. Lead me, guide me. And he can begin to quicken things in your heart and your spirit and show you things. He'll speak through preachers. He'll 
speak through his word. He'll speak to you directly. You might not hear a booming, audible voice, but you might be in prayer and all of a sudden God, oh, I just wish I knew which job to take. And God, all of a sudden, you just feel something in you. Like, I just don't feel like this job is right. I don't think it's the right thing for my family because God can be leading you by his spirit. Even Jesus himself was trying to get the Jewish people ready for the transition in this plan of him being with them to instead being in them. John 14, 16, he says, I will pray the Father and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not. Notice he makes that connection because humanity is always into seeing things. That's why as we talked about about a Wednesday night, the idols came in when they got to Mount Sinai because they said, we want a God we can see like the Egyptians have thousands of gods they can see. We want something tangible, something we can see. And so, oh great, there's the pillar of fire. There's the cloud. I want to be able to see things. But then you go to the New Testament and in Hebrews says, hey, I want you to know this journey, we walk by faith. It's not by sight because we put so much emphasis on, I want to measure it. I want to see it. It's got to make sense. Let's put it through the scientific method. But God says, my ways are not always going to be your ways. My thoughts aren't always going to be your thoughts. And when you walk this journey, you're not always going to see that pillar of fire. You're not always going to see that cloud. I'm not going to be a God that's limited to a fireplace mantle. I'm a God who's so much bigger than what you can fathom. And if you will follow me, I'll put my spirit inside you and I'll wash away your sins so that when you go on this journey, it's it's not by what you see. And so he writes this. He says, hey, even the spirit, you, you, I'm going to put my spirit. And he says, and you're, you, the one you cannot see, you seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but you, you, you know him for he dwelleth with you. Jesus is saying that he's dwelling with you, but guess what? He shall be in you right now. He's with you, but there's a day coming. He's going to be in you. He says, and, and they're, they're kind of freaking out a bit because they're like, uh, I gave up everything to follow you. And now you're talking about leaving. This is scary. And he goes, now, hold on. I'm not going to leave you comfortless. I'm going to come to you. Well, why don't you just stay here? Well, no, because you're going to have something different. I'm going to leave, but I'm going to come to you. I'm not going to leave you in this state by yourself. Yet a little while, the world seeth me no more, but you see me because I live, you shall live also. And in that day, you're going to know that I'm in my Father, you're in me, and I in you. Right now, I'm with you, but I'm going to be in you. And he goes on in verse 25, these things I've spoken with you unto you being yet present with you. But the comforter, and in case you missed it, he clarifies it, thank God, which is the Holy Ghost... Whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all the things and bring all the things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said to you. What an incredible revelation. If you're here and you're watching online maybe and you're going, I've never heard this, I don't understand this, this spirit thing, this, I, I just, I, I, I don't know, I've heard strange things about people who, who speak in tongues or are filled with the spirit and that this is all strange, all odd. Listen, I promise you, it's all biblical, it's all scriptural. This is God's plan. God is saying, I want my spirit to be in my people. I don't, I still want to lead them. Do you think God retired from leading his people? He still wants to lead you, but he doesn't want to choose the things that you can always, oh, there it is, oh, there it is, oh, it's clear. 
clear. No, he wants you to know that you, there's going to be this element of faith, and you're going to walk by faith and not by sight. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the, thing, the evidence of things unseen, not seen. And so, so we walk this journey of faith, but in order to do it the most effective way possible, we have to have his spirit inside of us because that's his plan. That's what he's always wanted to do. And so he's saying, I, I, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm with you guys now, and you guys are scared. I'm not going to leave you comfortless. Don't worry. But the, you're not going to see me for a moment, but I'm going to come back, and I'm not going to be with you anymore. I'm going to be in you. And this is why Jesus talked to that woman at the well, and he says, you know what? The, the, the everlasting water I'm going to give you, it's going to be a well that springs up inside of you. In the Old Testament, when God called his people out of Egyptian bondage before he even took them to the Red Sea, he tells them exactly where to go and where to camp. Exodus 14, it says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel that they turn and encamp by Pahiroth. Did they do well? That sounds good, huh? Between Migdal and the sea over against Balzaphon, before it shall ye encamp by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, they are entangled in the land. The wilderness hath shut them in. What in the world? God, God said, I'll tell you exactly where I want this to go down. I mean, we just read it. I want you to go to that area to the point where there's going to be mountains on the sides. And there's going to be the Red Sea right there. And he, and he straight up says, and I'm going to do it because Pharaoh, the enemy, is going to go, I got him now. Is there really times in our lives that God will lead us into a hopeless situation? Just so that the enemies of our heart and lives can go, <laughs> Look at them now. They got no hope. <laughs> They're going to be destroyed. And not just the enemy, the devil. I'm just talking about in your life, people that watch everything you do. That watch when the spirit-filled believer is led by the God that they say they serve into a hopeless circumstance where you go, can't go there. I can't go there. I can't go there. I can't go there. But God led me to this place. God maybe I missed it somewhere. God specifically led me to this very spot. But God says, no, 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 you're going to go there. Because the enemy's going to think that they've entangled themselves and they're shut in and they got no hope. We love when God steps in and does miracles. We just don't like when we live in circumstances that require miracles. I mean, I just want to serve God in the seasons of blessings. Let's be honest. Who wants to go to this spot? But God says, oh, um, miracles, the need for miracles don't scare me. I'm going to have you go right there, and you're going to be in the most vulnerable, possibly most, most vulnerable position you'll ever be in. 
And you imagine this, you just left, as, a, as an Israelite, you just left the place of bondage after 430 years, and you think for a moment, you're free, and all of a sudden, you're like, I'm going to die. I mean, like, you enjoyed freedom from, for just a couple days, maybe weeks, and all of a sudden, you're like, ah, I'm free. No, I'm going to die. I don't even think Moses knew what to expect. I know we could argue about that, but I don't even think he knew what to expect, because based on his response... I'm thinking that he was expecting God to do all the work and deliver the children of Israel. Look what he says, Exodus 14, 13. Moses said to the people, fear ye not. And we celebrate this, and I think we should in some ways. What a, what a, what a, what a moment of faith. He says, fear ye not, because the Israelites are already going, you bring us out here to die, Moses, and they're already turning on their leader. And again, thank God for most. What, a, what an incredible guy. Because like if I led you somewhere and you started to turn on me, I'd be like, y'all find yourself a new pastor. I'm leaving, you know? I mean, like, I don't have to take this. You know what I'm saying? They're like, did you bring us out here to die? You brought us in the wilderness. There's no graves out here. And he's just like, stand still. Look what he says. Fear not, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show to you. And today, for the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you shall see them again no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. We celebrate that. I mean, what a word of faith. But God's plan of salvation is different from ours. Because sometimes... We expect God to step in and deliver us, set us free, make a way, fix it. All right, God, got myself in this jam. In Jesus' name, fix it. There's power in the name of Jesus. Oh, yes, Jesus' name, fix it. And we just want to sit back. And watch God fix it. I mean, like, let's pull up a comfy chair, get a recliner, one where I can, you know, boom back. Maybe the headrest even moves, gets my. All right, God. Stand still, Moses says. I'm gonna preach that. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. He's gonna take care of our enemies. Woo! Amen. That's my kind of message. I sit in the easy boy, lazy boy, whatever it's called, easy chair. That's to say, last night I meant to say uh, arthritis in the fingers, and I said, you got carpal tunnel in your fingers. <laughs> My wife's like, hey, you know when you said carpal tunnel? I was like, yes, I know, I know. They don't have to finish the sentence. And some of you are like, ah, you th I got a whole reel of bloopers on you. Do you think that's the only thing? You, I, you guys could probably, through 13 years, you probably have a whole reel, I know. But we just want to sit back in the easy chair or the lazy boy, you see? Easy boy would be another version of that. <laughs> and we want God to be God. We just want it easy. Okay, all right, God. I love that message on Moses. Stand still. I'm going to do that. I'm going to sit still and just watch God do what he needs to do because he's powerful and I'm going to watch. And God's sitting here in our lives and he's calling us into impossible situations because he wants to build our faith. And I know we don't want to hear that, but your faith doesn't get built through. It's like muscle. 
you're not gonna you're not gonna gain muscle mass without doing some type of exercise that offers resistance. That's where strength is built. And so when God says, Hey, I'm calling you into this place to build your faith. But he's not going to just do it by giving us a magic show as we sit in our easy boys. (laughs) God is the one with delivering power. But he is calling us to respond. And so check this out, verse 13. Moses said to the people, fear not, stand still there. You're not going to see him. Verse 14, the Lord will fight for you and hold your peace. Check out verse 15. And the Lord says to Moses, what in the world are you crying? Why are you crying to me? What? I just preached a pretty good message, God. I mean, that was a word of faith right there. And God goes, literally steps in. Why are you whining? Why are you crying right now? Speak to the children in Israel and tell them they need to go forward. Uh, uh, go forward where? Huh. Uh, <laughs> there's a Red Sea. God, I just spoke a word of faith. You're supposed to come down, do the fireworks. We sit down in the easy boy and watch the fireworks and, and just you take care of the situation and then we celebrate. What's up? And God says, why are you crying to me? I sent you on a journey. And I didn't tell you to stop. Keep going. Yeah, but how do I keep going when there's resistance, when there's obstacles in the way? He says, I, I just told you, keep, keep, keep going. Keep marching. You, they need to go forward. Moses wanted them to stand. He literally told them, stand still. And that's a very popular message in Christianity. Just bring your cares to him. Cast your cares on him. Just sit tight and God will work it out. But God doesn't always operate that way. God looks at his people who have mountains on every side, leaving them only three options. And I think sometimes our situation is the same. Option one is go back. Which scripture records is what they wanted to do. Option two is stand still, which is what Moses was expecting to do. Option three is go forward, which is what God told them to do. And there's times we get in this situation in our lives and we go, go back, sit still, or go forward. They're like, let's go back to Egypt. I want to go back to Elisa, leeks and onions and garlic, and I know what I got back there. And Moses says, no, just stand still, and God's going to do it. And God says, y'all are wrong, both of you. Go forward. And with his people, he brought them to the brink, facing the water. Facing the literal water. And he gets them into this circumstance where they're there in a beautiful spring March day. And he called them to that point, and they're like, 
I have been walking this life and I got all this story of the things that I'm trying to get away from and I've come to this moment, God, and now I got this church, this water in front of me and God, I'm just, I'm just waiting, God, to see what you're gonna do in my life. And God says, I brought you to the water. Why are you stopping when you could go forward and step into the water and watch what I begin to do? in your life. Maybe God is speaking today and going, stop begging. Stop crying. Stop. Just stop. I have provided the avenue for what I'm going to do in your life. And if you will just step into that water, dare I say God could be saying the same thing today and the water of baptism is in front of you. He's calling you not to stand still, but to go forward and go through the water and into the body of Christ. You see, Paul clearly states in the New Testament that the, the Old Testament Red Sea typifies water baptism. And in that Old Testament account, there was no possible way that God's people would have ever been saved. They would have absolutely died. Pharaoh's army would have destroyed some of them, taken the rest of them back into bondage if they would have just stood still. There is no way that there would have been any salvation for that nation unless they went through the water. And today, in order to go through the water, they had to get up from where they were and go forward. Is the, it, could it still be that today there's still going to be no salvation for the people of God unless they go through the water? And that is the avenue in which Jesus Christ has provided for his people. And I'm almost done. Exodus chapter 14, verses 22 and 23, it says, And the children of Israel did just that. They went into the midst of the sea upon the dry ground, and the waters were a wall unto them. This was amazing because God, he's a progressive God where he, he starts you on a journey, and he calls you to do certain things. Right now, if, you, if you're a first-time guest and God's dealing with you about being water baptized, well, maybe today is not going to be the day that he's going to say, go to the dead person and lay hands and watch the, the, the dead person rise from the dead. He's capable of that, but he might not call you to do that on day one. It's incredible because here he says, I'm, I'm, I'm calling you to go forward through the water and they walk through on dry ground. Do you know the next time this happens? They're at the brink of the Jordan River and they're facing the walls of Jericho. That time, the water doesn't part until their soles of their feet step into the water. Because, see, God says, oh, I'm, I'm building your faith a little. I'm going to send some plagues in Egypt. I'm going to start some plagues and you're going to start to, I'm going to start to build your faith for the journey. And then, they, and then he calls them to the Red Sea. I'm going I'm to continue to build the faith for the journey. But he eventually gets to the point where he goes, this time I'm not even going to part the Jordan River until you're willing to step into the water. And that's when all of a sudden your soles of your feet hit it, and that's when I part it. You see, God, he keeps calling you. Why? Because he's not content to just have you at the level of faith that you're at right now. He wants to build you into the man or the woman of God that he is calling you to be. And so they went through on dry ground on their right hand and their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them to the midst of the sea. Even all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. The thing that, understand this, the thing that bound them for 430 years followed them into the water. 
When you step into this water today, if you're 30 years old, 30 years worth of stuff is going to follow you into that water. You're 50 years old, 50 years worth of stuff is going to follow you into that water. You're 70 years old, 70 years worth of stuff is going to follow you into that water. And it wants to retake you. It wants you to live in bondage. It does not want you free. It neither did the Egyptians. So it's going to come in that water after you. But here's what happens. It all went in after him and Exodus 14 28 says and the waters returned and the waters covered the chariots and the horsemen and the host of Pharaoh that came into the sea and the best part is read that last part and there remained not so much as one of them when you step into these waters of baptism 30 years worth of stuff 50 years worth of stuff 70 years worth of stuff gonna follow you try and reclaim your life keep you in bondage but when you come up out of that water there remains not so much as one sin because those sins and that bondage and that addiction it is washed away because when I come up out of the water in the name of Jesus Christ all my sins are washed away it can't take a hold on me anymore and you can stand to your feet look at the result exodus 14 30 thus the lord saved israel that day from the egyptians i want you to see that was the method of salvation that was the way he saved them he said i know you think you're in a tough spot but watch me make a way through the water is where i provide salvation for my people and in the new testament it's the exact same thing through the water is where he provides salvation for his people he's still saving souls today just like he did back then and there's the reason why the old testament prophet micah said it this way in micah 7 he said who is a god like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage he retaineth not his anger forever thank god for that because he delighteth in mercy in verse 19 he will turn again meaning it's happened before anybody ever need god's forgiveness more than once he will turn again. He will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities. And guess what he's going to do? He's going to cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. That was written after the time of Moses. But Micah knew in the inspiration of God's spirit that I'm going to write this because that's exactly what he did in the Old Testament. But that's what he's getting ready to do in the New Testament. Egypt was cast to the depths of the sea and he washed away that sin but Micah knew maybe he didn't but under the inspiration of God's spirit he says there's coming a day that God's mercy is still going to be reaching out and that guess what when you bring your sins to him he's still going to subdue them he's still going to cast them into the depths into the depths of the sea as he washes away the sin in the waters of baptism so guess what 
now we just need some people it don't matter if you've been baptized or not we need some people that are going to approach an altar and say my God thank you Lord thank you again for subduing my sins I need forgiveness again God I know I've been washed but God I let junk it came back in and God I need your grace and your mercy again but if you're here today and you're standing at the brink of the water and you've never been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ by immersion for the remission of your sins I'm just wondering if God is saying to you today I brought you to this moment by my spirit and the way of salvation is to go forward into the water and, and, and become part of the body of Christ and let me take all that sin and let me not only make you a part of the body of Christ but let me subdue that sin and cast it to the bottom of the ocean I'm telling you today could be your day to be a part of the body today could be your day to receive that in the name of Jesus I baptize you for the remission of your sins today could be that day I invite someone right now to go forward I invite someone right now to approach an altar and to say it's time for me to go forward I'm not gonna stand still I'm not just gonna sit here and wait for God to do something I'm gonna get out of my seat I'm gonna go forward I gotta get to his presence I want to respond to him this morning oh Lord help me Jesus